I'm so excited to be able to share the word with you this morning. Uh, in fact, um, I'm going to give you my text verse, tell you what it is. So if you do have an actual Bible, a paper Bible, or you like to use your app, you can look it up. Um, I'll give you a minute to look it up. It's going to be in Isaiah 43. So if you want to turn there, you can. Uh, we are in our August series, over halfway through now, uh, that we've called Anchored. And if you've been here, you know exactly what we're talking about. We're, it's the idea that we're all anchored to something in our life. And uh, we've used kind of this metaphor this month, and it's been really great for me. I've loved uh, studying and um, uh, just being able to, to, to grow in my faith in studying this word. One of the great privileges of being a, a pastor that gets to preach is I have to study too. So I get to uh, learn a lot as I study and just be challenged in my own faith. So it's been great. This week was actually uh, really challenging for me in so many ways, but I feel like it's been so good and I'm really excited about this word this morning. And uh, the, we've been using a, kind of a, a picture, an analogy of what this series is. It's basically the idea that, you know, we're like a boat and we are the vessel that's sitting on some water. The water is our life, which is everything that's changeable in life, that is inconsistent and changing all the time, which is basically everything in life. And then our Heavenly Father is the ocean floor. He is the one that is unchanging. He's the one that is consistent and that uh, obviously our design is to be anchored to him through Jesus. And that's what we've been talking about. And we know that uh, the, the reason that you need an anchor most of the time is to help you stay stable in rough waters, right? If, if the waters are nice and smooth, you really don't need an anchor. You can kind of stay where you want to be. But if the, if the storms are raging, that's when you really need an anchor. And my text verse today out of Isaiah 43 kind of explains that. It's, it's the Lord speaking through Isaiah and kind of talking to us about the storms in life. So I'm going to ask you to stand with me, if you would, please, as we read Isaiah 43, verses 1 and 2 and 3 together. It says, But now this is what the Lord says, He who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel. So here comes the word of the Lord to the children of Israel and to us today. He says, Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. Man, that's wonderful right there. That's a beautiful promise from God. But here's why he's telling us this, because we need to know it, because here's what he's saying. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. These are all references to storms in our life. And then he finishes off by giving us the, one of the greatest promises in all the word. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Somebody say amen. 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 Thank the Lord. Last week we talked about counterfeit anchors and how there's counterfeits that the enemy would wanna bring into your life that you would trust instead of trusting Jesus. Today we're gonna to talk about the anchor in the storm. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, you are awesome in this place. We love you so much. Thank you, God, for reminding us that you are worthy of it all. You are worthy of our song. You are worthy of all that we are, God, no matter what is going on in our life. And Lord, we thank you that you are worthy in the storm. And I pray today that you would pierce our hearts with your word, that our hearts would be Wonderful soil, fertile soil, God, where this word can produce fruit in our lives. And it's all for your glory, and it's all for our good. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. amen. God bless you. You can be seated. So as you probably know, we're in the middle of hurricane season here in the United States. It goes from June to the end of November, I think. And uh, there's actually a hurricane in the southwestern United States, which is very rare. There's one called Hillary. And uh, you probably heard about it. It's actually, it was downgraded, I think, last night or today to just like a category one, but it's still a hurricane. And it's going to make landfall in, in, in Mexico and a little bit of Southern California. And, 
you know, there have been some, some stuff on, there's been some stuff online. People over there aren't really used to these hurricanes. So they were asking questions like, you know, what do we do? What, do you, what should we do with our boat that's in the water? And, you know, the obvious response that people have been giving them is you want to make sure it's anchored well. Don't, don't use some little flimsy cinder block laying in the water and think that's going to take it, care of it in a hurricane. Make sure it's anchored very, very well because the storm is coming. Now, we know hurricanes are rare, but storms are very common in life. In fact, Ben Franklin was quoted as saying, the only thing in life that's certain is death and taxes. Well, I would add to that, storms are certain too. <laughs> Statistically, even the natural storms are pretty certain in life. Uh, they've been tracking hurricane season for 171 years, and all but one year, there's been at least two hurricanes. The only year there wasn't a hurricane was 1914, and they had a, a big uh, tropical storm that still did some damage, but not hurricane level. But most years, there's multiple hurricanes. We know this, right? Because they, when they name these hurricanes, they start with the letter A, and by the time hurricane season's over, sometimes they're in the R's, S's, and T's, and all the way down. Uh, so there's a lot of hurricanes. There's storms that happen every time, every time that there is a hurricane season. And storms come into our life, too. As you can see where I'm going here with this metaphor of being anchored and the storms that come in our life, we get storms in our life, too. Now, some are worse than others. Some last longer than others. Some storms are, you know, just very brief, can last for just a few moments. In fact, I was thinking about this, like, if you're in school and you got to take a test and you're not ready for the test, that morning you're probably in a bit of a storm, especially if you need to do well on it. Or if you know you're going to have to go, uh, the doctor's going to draw some blood today and you hate needles. That's a bit of a storm getting up to that point too, right? Uh, but then there's some that are, you know, a little more severe in our life that could be longer. You could be in a toxic work situation that you feel like you're stuck and you have to stay there. That's a storm that you might have to go through or maybe you've lost your job and that, that kind of, you're dealing with that kind of storm right now or you have family issues that are going on that can feel like a storm or a, or a long sickness even that you or someone you love is dealing with right now. There's all different kinds of storms in our life that we have to deal with and we can't avoid them all. It's impossible to avoid all the storms in life. In fact, my text verse is very powerful and revelatory for us, showing us that God is telling us here, basically he says, when you pass through the waters, when you pass through the rivers, and when you walk through the fire. So he's saying this is going to happen. This is going to happen in your life. But he, this is a promise actually from God that storms are gonna come in your life. Now, this is not the kind of promise we like to hold on to and claim, <laughs> not even a little bit, but it is a absolute promise that the storms are coming. But there's another promise from God in this passage that's just as clear and is the kind we wanna hang on to. He says that they will not destroy you. They will not burn you up. And even better than that, he says, oh, by the way, I'm gonna be with you. I'm gonna go into these storms with you because I am your God, I'm your redeemer. I'm the one who has called you by name. You are mine. That is a great promise from God for the God of the universe to say, oh, by the way, you're mine. Amen. That is a beautiful thing. And that should be enough for us in the storm to know that it's gonna be okay. Because the God of the universe calls me his. And we can't avoid them all. And when, in fact, the win isn't to even try to avoid them all. The goal, when you get to the end of your life, isn't to be able to say, yeah, you know, I missed out on as many storms in life as possible. The question isn't how can I avoid all the storms? The question is, what is sustaining me in the storm? Who or what is my anchor in the storm? That's the question we need to be asking ourselves. That's the question that we need to meditate on in our life. Because he finishes my text verse by saying that he is the answer to the storm because he says, for I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. 
Church, it's so easy to gloss over that and to read that just kind of quickly and just keep moving along. But we need to stop there for a minute. I mean, I got a whole sermon planned for you. But we need to stop in this moment and realize what he is saying here. He's saying there's gonna be storms, but you don't have to fear. I'm gonna be with you. I am your savior. Can I tell you today, that right there is enough. That's enough for us in the storm. It's enough. It's not enough just for this morning when we feel good and we're together and we're worshiping God together. It's enough for tomorrow. It's enough for every day of our life. The fact that he is who he says he is and he has called you his is enough. And listen, if it's, if it's not enough for you, and I would never in a million years ask you to raise your hand to say, who is it not enough for in this room? But you know, if, if that's you, you know, and a lot of us can struggle with this. In fact, there could be times in your life where you feel like it is enough, and then there's times where it isn't. This is, it's a fluid thing in our life sometimes. So you have to ask yourself, is that enough for me in my storms? Is it enough for me to know that he's with me? If it's only enough for you to know that he's with you and that he's going to fix it, then he's not enough. If it's only enough if you know he's with you and he's gonna make you feel better in the midst of it, he's not enough. He's enough because he's enough. He's enough because he's still worthy of our trust no matter what we're dealing with in our life. He's enough no matter what. He is all sufficient. He is everything, he's everywhere. He is the God of the universe. He is the one that saved you and redeemed you and called you by name. That's enough. That's enough. Because here's the deal, church. This is something we need to remember in our own lives. You can be somebody that is full of the Holy Spirit and still be depressed in a storm. You can be somebody that is completely devoted to Jesus and be anxious in a storm. You can, you can love God with all of your heart and still be angry in a storm. Now I know this messes with some of our theology because well, if I'm full of spirit, I can't let those things in my life. I'm not saying they have to stay there but as somebody that is full of the Spirit and completely devoted to Jesus and loves him with all my heart, I've been in storms and I've been angry. I've been in storms and I've been depressed. I've been in storms and I've had doubt. I've been in storms and I've been frustrated. I've been in storms and I've been questioning. So it can't, it's got to be enough to know that he is who he says he is. And not just that he's gonna fix it, not just that he's gonna make you feel good in the midst of it, and you're gonna see this great manifestation of his glory in the midst of every storm. That's not always how it works. So the answer is, is he enough? Am I gonna be able to worship him in the midst of it? When I'm, when I'm feeling the way I'm feeling and I, I don't feel like worshiping and I don't feel like being devoted to God, I don't feel like going to church and I don't feel like talking about Jesus, I don't feel like reading my Bible, I don't feel like praying, am I still going to get on my knees and say, Jesus, you're still enough. You're still worthy of it. You're still worthy of my life. Because if he's enough, he's worthy of all your trust. Irrelevant of the circumstances, church. Because see, he doesn't change. The Bible says very clearly, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So if he was worthy of your trust yesterday when things were going good, he's worthy of your trust today when it's not going so good. And he's worthy of your trust tomorrow whether it's going good or not. Because he doesn't change. He is the ocean floor. He doesn't change, he doesn't care. The ocean floor doesn't care what's happening above. It doesn't care what, if there's a storm, if there's lightning, the ocean floor doesn't care. It doesn't affect it. That's who our God is. Those things don't affect him, they affect us which is all the more reason that we need to be anchored to him. That's the answer. And so I would challenge you, if that's not where you are today, you need to stop in your faith and you need to stay there and you need to make all your prayer life focused on that 
your meditation about who God is focused on that. All of your efforts in your faith need to be about God, take me to the place where you are enough. Because everything else is very deficient in our faith if we don't start from there. Everything. You'll, you'll shift like the waves. You'll be double-minded, just like James says, and you shouldn't expect to get anything from God when you're double-minded. It needs to be, God, you're enough no matter what. No matter what. Now, do we cry out for him to do wonderful things? Do we, believe, we just sang he's a way maker, miracle worker, promise keeper. We sang all those things. Of course he's those things. But he's got to be enough even if we don't see that. Because the greatest miracle that's ever happened is you getting saved. That's the greatest miracle you'll ever have in your life. The fact that your black, deceitful heart was able to accept Jesus and give your life to him and trust him for your salvation, that's the greatest miracle that could ever happen. Because we all have black, deceitful hearts. Every one of us, we're born with it. We have hearts of stone, and he turns it into a heart of flesh. And that's who he is. He's got to be enough for us. So where do these storms come from in our life? Are they just random? Are they the judgment of God in our life? What causes these storms in life? I wanna give you a few things just quickly that, that I think encompass almost all the storms that come our way. There's obviously other things too, but these four things will be the main place that storms, the, the origination of the storms in our life. The first one is Satan, of course. Of course, our enemy, our adversary is of course going to wanna to bring storms into our life. Does he have the ability to do that? You better believe it. Bible's very clear, he went, to the, he went into the throne room and asked God, hey, can I mess with Job? <laughs> can I bring a storm into Job's life? You say how much he loves you and he worships you, it's because you've given him everything. Let me take it away and he'll curse you. He wanted to bring a storm into Job's life. And Jesus told Peter in the Gospels, he said, Peter, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat, to, make your, to bring so much storm into your life that it will separate you from your faith and you won't even, you'll lose your faith. So of course Satan can bring storms into our life. That's his plan. He's a deceiver. He's a liar. We talked about him last week, about how he wants to bring counterfeit anchors into our life that we think are making us, are giving us what we need when they're really not. So he's of course going to bring storms into our life. Another one is others. We don't live isolated on an island. Most of us, actually all of us, or you wouldn't be here. <laughs> and so there's other people in our life. And sometimes you just get swept up in their mess. And it'll bring a storm into your life. Sometimes it's just even an accident. It doesn't have to be somebody you're in a relationship with. You could be driving down the road and somebody runs a red light and hits you and you end up in the hospital and you're going through a storm. You don't even know that person. Storms can come in from anybody in this world into our life. Another one is just me. Not me like bringing storms into your life, <laughs> but me bringing storms into my own life and you bringing them into your life. If I make bad decisions, if I let my flesh have its way and I just, I'm living selfish and I'm living for instant gratification in my life and I'm living spontaneous and greedy and all those things, of course storms can come into my life just because of the ramifications of my bad decisions. You ever heard the term, sometimes you're your own worst enemy? Because you bring storms into your life. And then the fourth one is God. And I wanna focus the rest of my time today on, on God bringing storms in our life. God ordained storms in our life. What? God brings storms into my life? He brings discomfort? He brings trials and tests into my life? If you, if you didn't know that before right now, I'm sorry, but it's absolutely very true. I'm actually not sorry because it's actually really great that he does it, that he brings ordain, that he ordains storms in our life. 
I mean, I can mention it. There's, there, it's all through the word. I'll give you a few just off the top of my head that I thought of this morning as I was polishing this thing up. Jacob was probably one of the biggest ones because when, when Joseph was in Egypt, he was the prime minister and he basically saved the world because God had spoken to Joseph to, do, to provide food for you know, the, the area when they were in famine. And God tells Jacob, go ahead and go to Egypt, live with Joseph. And he says, I'll go with you. I'm gonna make you a great nation. Go ahead and go. When we know God knows the end from the beginning, right? So Jacob goes into Egypt and his whole family ends up being enslaved for over 400 years. God left that part out when he told him to go to Egypt and they'd go with him. That was a God-ordained storm. He knew that they were gonna be enslaved, yet he told Jacob to go. And if you, but you, if you see the whole thing, you see why he did that. Because he wanted to deliver them out as well. But God ordained that storm. He ordained a storm for Abraham. He said, Abraham, go take your only son, that one you love so much, and sacrifice him to me. You don't think that was a storm for Abraham from the moment God said that until the moment the angel stopped him from killing his son? That was a horrible storm that he went through. He blinded Paul on the road to Damascus. Being blinded and not being able to see would be a pretty bad storm. God did it. He had a reason for it. The thing about God ordained storms is he always has a reason for it. And one thing you can't argue, no matter what your theology might be, is you can't argue that even the storms that come from other places have to go by God. Nothing slips past him without him knowing. There's never been a storm that's come on this earth or in your life where God's been like, oh man, I missed that one. Sorry guys, I had my back turned for a minute. Nothing, is, nothing takes him by surprise. I even mentioned Satan had to go to God to try to bring a storm into Job's life and into Peter's life. Like everything goes past God. And you know how we know that? Because everything is his. He's sovereign over all, above all, everything. In fact, Psalm 24, 1 it says very clearly, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Everything in the earth is his. And the world and all of its people belong to him. Nothing happens outside of the permission of God. Nothing. And that can be hard for us to swallow. That can be hard to even wrap our mind around it. Some of the atrocities that have happened in this world had to go past God to get there. We don't understand it all. We don't understand everything and why it all happens. And that's why it's so important that our view of him can't just be that he's going to do something we need him to do in the storm, but it's about the fact that he is who he says he is and that he's sovereign and that his ways are so much higher than we could ever imagine. His thoughts are so much higher than we could ever think. He's, he's eternal, he's infinite, he's all the things we're not. And so we choose to trust him even when we don't feel it, even when things happen that don't make sense. Job knew. Job knew that that was his only chance. Look at uh, uh, chapter 13, verse 15 of Job. In the NIV, it says, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. <laughs> though God slays me, I will trust him. The, the NLT is even better. It says, God might kill me, but I have no other hope. Now listen, God's not killing Job. Job is making a statement here of what, where his anchor is, of what he really trusts. He's saying, Job lost everything. He lost his family, he lost all of his wealth, he lost everything, he lost his health, all of it. He had nothing left barely. And yet he says, I have, there's no hope outside of God. There's no hope outside of him. Where else can I turn? It doesn't matter what happens to me, I have no hope outside of it. That's the heart that God would want us to have for him. So the question is, why does God allow and even ordain storms in our life? 
I want to help answer that question a little bit. Obviously, there's a thousand answers to it. I want to give you three very prevalent ones today that I hope to challenge you and encourage you with. Why does God allow and even ordain storms in our life? The first one is because the storm reveals what your anchor is. The storms in your life reveal what your anchor is. We all have an anchor. We all have something that we trust in our life to bring stability, to to hold us during the storm, every one of us. And the storm will actually reveal what that anchor is. Because you could think, when everything's going good, you could think, well, my, my anchor is Jesus. But then the storm hits, and the last thing you're thinking about is Jesus. You're thinking about everything you can do to try to get out of this on your own, and you actually can be turned angry towards Jesus because of the storm. The storm will reveal what your anchor is. And the questions we ask in the storm reveal it as well. It reveals where our trust is. There's a lot of questions you might ask if you're, when you're going through something. One of them would be, what if? God, what if? What if a storm doesn't end? God, what if, what if I lose my job because of this? What if I have to go bankrupt because of this? What if I lose my marriage? What if I lose my friends? What if, what if, what if? We can easily ask what if. Moses struggled with it too. You know, Moses is known as like a great leader that led the children of Israel out of Egypt, like an incredible leader. He didn't start off that way. When God came to him and said, hey, Moses, I've seen my children suffering and I'm tired of it. I'm gonna get them out of Egypt and you're gonna deliver them. And Moses was so excited, he said, uh, uh, can you choose my brother instead? Actually, he's, God says, that, listen, I want you to go to the elders of Israel and you're gonna tell them, hey, God's gonna deliver you and he's gonna use me to do it and it's gonna be really great. And Moses' response was, what if they don't listen to me? What if they don't listen to me? See, God brought this storm into Moses' life to show him who his anchor really was. He feared rejection. He was very insecure. He said, what if, what if they don't accept me? His response really was more like, it sounds like you're bringing a really unnecessary storm into my life, God. Can I just live here and be happy? Yet God wanted to use him for that, but it caused him to say, what if? We can also ask the question, why me? I know you guys have probably never done that, but I've done it. Why me when the storm hits? You ever going through a storm and you get all in your feels and you're looking at that person over there and saying, this person is much more deserving of a storm than I am. Why am I going through it? I mean, I know I'm not perfect, but I'm, more, I'm closer to perfect than this person. Yet they're, everything they're doing, everything they're touching is turning to gold. Yet I'm going through all of this. The why me question reveals what our anchor is. Gideon had that. You know, we just went through the book of Judges over the summer. We did a series on Judges, and, and Jessica actually preached on Gideon and how God raised him up to deliver his people out from the Midianites. And Gideon didn't start off as a good leader either. He was actually very insecure as well. God came to him and he says, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. And Gideon says, oh, really? <laughs> In fact, I'll read what he said in Judges six thirteen. He says, uh, pardon me, my Lord. I feel like he did that with some sarcasm. But if the Lord is with us, why has all of this happened to us? Where are all his wonders our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. Why, Lord? Why me? Why is this happening to me? You supposedly delivered us, yet here we are. God brought the storm of Midian to the Israelites to reveal their anchor, to reveal that their anchor was not God. It was all the false gods, false idols, and their own selfish desires 
at that time. Another question is, don't you care? Asking God when we're going through something. Don't you care, God? I begged and begged and begged for you to help me in this and deliver me from this, yet here I am. Don't you care? When we get to that place, we actually start to question the character of God. Don't you care, God? I mean, the audacity that we would say that to God, even though we probably all have done it. Like, God, what's going on? Are you asleep at the wheel? Don't you care that I'm going through this? And the, the funny thing is, is that my Bible is pretty clear that he cares so much that he didn't wait for us to be good enough, but while we were still sinners, he died for us. Something tells me you have to care a lot to be able to do that. Yet we'll get in our little situation and be self-consumed with whatever we're going through and say, God, don't you care? Don't you care that I'm in this? It reveals your anchor. You had the, the, uh, the disciples in the boat in Mark 4 where they were in the boat and the storm comes, literal storm in the boat. And these guys were seasoned fishermen, but they thought they were going to die. So you know the storm was pretty rough. The waves were going crazy. And they said, oh my gosh, we're going to drown. We're going to die. And they go and they find Jesus underneath, dead asleep. Sleeping on a pillow. And they wake Jesus. And if you know what he said, they said to him, don't you care if we drown? Now think of the irony of that, by the way. Jesus was in the boat with them. <laughs> if they drown, he drowns. It's not like he was on the shore and they're seeing him from the shore saying, Jesus, don't you care if we drown? I mean, he's literally in it with them. Which, by the way, goes back to my text verse. He says, though you go, through, you go through all these things, I will be with you. This is a literal example of Jesus being with them in the storm. And it's also figurative knowing that that's what he does for us in our storms too. But if our anchor is not him, we get in those storms, we say, God doesn't even care. He doesn't care about me. I shouldn't be going through this. I'm a good person. Why is this happening in my life? The reality is a storm in your life can either destroy you or develop you. A storm will destroy you or develop you. It can put you on the shelf or it can equip you to be a mighty warrior for Christ. The choice is yours though. The storm will reveal what you're anchored to. The storm will also make you aware of drifting. It will make you aware of drifting. Now this is, this, is, this is powerful stuff. This was very convicting to me as I was even preparing this this week. Do you know you can drift without knowing it? Even on a boat. Many of you probably been on a boat, been out on the lake, up at Clark Hill, and maybe fishing, just sitting there fishing quietly, or maybe just on a pontoon, you're just enjoying the sun, and just sitting there not doing much of anything and all of a sudden you look up and you realize, oh, we used to be way over there. We are not where we used to be. It's easy to happen, isn't it? To just drift slowly when, the, when, the, when there is no storm, when the water is just kind of still and you can still drift. You ever had that realization in your faith? That you've drifted in your faith? When's the last time you, you thought to yourself or even had someone say to you like, man, I just feel like I've been drifting away. God. It takes, a, it takes a, a measure of transparency that many of us aren't willing to even express to people. But the reality is it happens every day, <laughs> every single day. I mean, you've ever been in a situation where, let's say God has put it on your heart, you see a need somewhere, maybe it's in the church or a friend or somebody, there's a financial need, and you just feel like the Lord's prompting you, like, I need to sow into this. I need to give till it hurts. And I can't even really afford it, but I need to do it. And you're not willing to do it. But five years ago, 
the same thing happened and you were willing to step out and trust God for it, even though you, you, know, you couldn't afford it, you did it and God met you in that place and everything was fine. But now you're like, you just can't do it. Cause now it's like, well, I got more responsibilities now. I got, you know, I wasn't married back then. Now I got married, I got kids, I got a mortgage. I got all these things, I can't really do it. And you realize I am not where I used to be because the circumstance has no, no skin in the game at all. It's not about the circumstance. It's about being obedient to the Lord. Or maybe you had a situation where somebody has hurt you recently and you know what the word says, you know the truth of the scriptures, you know the, the life of a Christian that we are to forgive unequivocally everyone that, that hurts us, that we are to forgive them. And you got somebody in your life that a few years ago, they hurt you badly and the Lord worked on your heart and you, you determined, you purpose in your heart, I'm gonna forgive this person and you've released them from their, uh, your claim on them as having hurt you and you've walked in forgiveness and right now you have somebody that's hurt you and you're feeling anger that just is swelling up inside of you and even hatred in your heart towards that person and you realize, I am not where I used to be. Or maybe you used to read your, your Bible. You were in the word, you were hungry for the word, you were like a sponge, you're soaking it up. You were sacrificing social media time or TV time to make sure that you were in the word and you were growing in your faith and you were learning and you were just loving Jesus and having a good time. And now if I asked you, you'd have to say, I don't know the last time that I really dug into the word. You're not where you used to be. And it probably didn't happen overnight. You probably just drifted, just slowly drifted over into that place in your life. It's so easy to do and it's so dangerous. You know, rarely do you see a person that's just sold out for Jesus, living the faith, loving God and doing their thing and the next day they just fall off a cliff and they're out. No, almost never happens like that. It's always just this slow roll, this slow drift where we can just drift away. It's so easy for it to happen in our life. In fact, the writer of Hebrews even warned us about it. This is, the, uh, this is a verse we don't, maybe don't see very often, but it's a powerful verse. Hebrews 2, verse 1, it says, So we must listen carefully to the truth we have heard, or we may drift away from it. Guess what? You're not alone. Praise God. 2,000 years ago, they knew if you don't pay careful attention to the word, if you're not diligent about what you know to be the truth, you will drift away from it because we're prone to drift, just like a boat. You put a boat in the middle of the lake, I promise you in two hours, it's not gonna be the exact same spot it was in. Doesn't matter how still the water is because we are prone to drift. We are prone to go away, to want to do our own things. You know, we know what we have to do to be saved. Most of us do, right? To be saved, you have to know and believe that Jesus is God, that he lived on this earth, he lived a sinless life, he died a sinner's death on a cross, he was raised again three days later and he ascended to the right hand of the Father interceding for us and it is his work on the cross that brings us forgiveness for our sins and we give our life to him, accept that forgiveness of our sins and we can be saved. You know what you have to do to be lost? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Just sit there and you can be lost. You wanna stay depressed in your storm, do nothing. You wanna stay anxious and in your doubt and in your complaining spirit, just do nothing. And you'll just drift. You'll just continue to drift away from God. That's exactly what happens to us. We are all prone to do it. And see, we all start with good intentions. It's, but it's just easy to drift. In fact, so next Sunday, we're having baptism. It was in the announcements. We had to add one. It wasn't even in the calendar. We got like six to eight people that want to be baptized. We're so excited about it. Having to add baptisms to the calendar is a wonderful problem to have. We're thankful for it. By the way, it's still open. If you want to get baptized next week, we'd love to have you. 
But these people that are getting baptized next week, a lot of them are, are newly saved. Some are rededicating their lives to the Lord. And they're gonna start with great intentions. But I can tell you, if you're in here and you're getting baptized next week, you're gonna have to be intentional. You're gonna have to be diligent in your faith. You're gonna have to be very conscious of it because it will be, next Sunday will be a monumental day for you, but it's not hard to drift. To just find yourself drifting along and going further. And the Lord will bring storms in our life to expose the drifting so that we will finally look up and say, whoa, I am not where I used to be. Sometimes it takes a storm to realize that you are not where you used to be. Because when everything's going well, what's the big deal? I'm fine. I go to church. I even went to a small group one time on a Friday night of all nights. I've done stuff. And you could just slowly drift away. And it's the storm that makes you realize, oh my goodness, I am not where I was and I need to get back over there. The Lord will help us reset by bringing a storm into our life. And let me tell you, when he does that, we should praise him for it. You praise God for the storms in your life that have awakened you to the fact that you had drifted away. Because that's the love and the mercy of God in your life. Let me tell you how prone we are to drift. When Jesus gave the parable of the sower, he gave it in Matthew 13 and Luke 8. Okay, he gives this parable like when the word is sown, it's like seed that the father's throwing seed out on the soil. That's why we talk about the heart, the soil of the heart that the seed would produce in our life. And he said there's four different types of soil that the seed is thrown on. There's one that's hard ground that the enemy just comes and takes it right away. And then there's one that's incredibly fertile that produces fruit in our life. That's the one we want. But the other two, two of the four are all about drifting. It says there's one that's shallow and it takes root and the person gets saved and loves Jesus right away and they're all excited, but because they have no root, they wither when the heat comes. It's just drifting. And then there's another one that, that grows, but there's weeds and thorns around it that strangle it out. The, it says the, the, the concerns about life and the deceitfulness of wealth strangle it out so it's not fruitful. That's drifting. Two of the four soils that Jesus talks about is about just slowly drifting, like loving God and then just eventually finding yourself strangled by the weeds or scorched from the heat. We have to be intentional about it. Hebrews 12 and two, it says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Why do we need to fix our eyes? That word fix there is the Greek word, here goes nothing, aphorao. And it means to turn away from other things and fixate. Why do we need to turn away from other things and fixate our eyes on Jesus? Because we are prone to drifting. If you're driving or you're in a boat, wherever you fix your eyes, that's where you're going. And if it's not on Jesus, it's going somewhere else. We'll just drift away. We have to be incredibly intentional and he will bring storms to show us that we are drifting. Ask God to show you. Ask God to bring a storm into your life to show you if you're drifting, church. It's a scary prayer, I know. But it's powerful too, because I'd rather know than not know. And if I gotta go through some discomfort, you know, if we pray and ask God to bring you a storm, he's gonna bring you a storm, it's not gonna be a tragedy in your life, it's gonna be something to wake you up to where you can reset. All right, and third and finally, he'll bring storms or allow storms to prove that our faith is genuine. To prove that our faith is genuine. You know how you really don't know where you are in your faith until it's tested? You don't know the strength of anything until it's tested. You don't know the strength of a chain until it's tested. You don't know the strength of a football team until it's tested. The preseason rankings in college football are a joke. They never work out because they don't really know because they haven't been tested yet. You find out how good somebody is when they're tested. And you find out about your faith 
when it's tested. Until then, you really don't know. You're kind of guessing. You're hoping, maybe crossing your fingers. 1 Peter 1, 6 and 7, one of the most uh, informative verses that you'll read when it comes to the trials and tests that we go through in life. He says, so be truly glad. There is wonderful joy ahead, even though you must endure many trials or storms for a little while. These storms, I'll use my own word there, will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold. The storms come to prove that your faith is genuine, to show that your faith really is what you say it is. It's meant to purify our faith. In other, in other words, to make it stronger. We want to be strong in our faith. We want to know that our faith can withstand things. The only way to know that is for storms to come into our life. So God can purify us in those storms. That's one of the goals of him allowing those things in our life. Another one is because he wants us to persevere. I've said it many times, persevere is kind of a, almost a cuss word in the West. We will do anything to not have to persevere. We will buy anything to not have to persevere or avoid persevering as much as possible because we have so many niceties, so many things that we can use to not have to persevere in our life. But can I tell you something? God calls us to persevere and God's love is perfect. Now, if you have kids, you love your kids very, very much. And we talk about God being a father, that he's a father like we are, like we're parents to our children, but there's a, there's a huge, huge gap between his love and our love for our kids. Because his love is perfect. See, our love for our kids isn't perfect. That's why when our kids go through things, oftentimes it'll break our hearts so much that we will use our resources, we will use our influence, we will use anything we can use to make it so that they don't have to persevere, but to just get rid of the storm. When in reality, there's times it's better for our kids if the storm rages so that they have to persevere. I'm not saying you let them suffer and go through stuff that's unnecessary, but there are times that the best thing to do is to let them persevere. Because perseverance is actually a really, really big deal. It is very, very important for us to know how to persevere. James said it in James 1.4, he said, look at what he said, perseverance must finish its work. It has to. It's not something you can avoid, it has to finish its work. Why? so that you may be mature, complete, and not lacking anything. That's a bold statement. Now, if I asked who wants to be mature in their faith in here, every hand would probably go up. If I asked in here who wants to be complete, I'll take some of that. And then not lacking anything, I'll take a double portion of that. Give me as much of the not lacking part as you can give me. He shows us the only way to get to that place. The only way is through perseverance. It's not about having enough money. It's not about skipping over everything and just getting to that place of being complete and not lacking anything. The not lacking and being complete comes from perseverance finishing its work in your life. It's, it's written there in black and white. It's so crystal clear. It couldn't be any more clear in the word that if we really wanna be at that place where we are growing in our faith, if we, are, if we are maturing in our faith and we are not lacking anything in our faith, it only comes through perseverance. Would you know what that tells me? that a person young in their faith, it's impossible for them to be completely mature, complete, and not lacking. Because if you haven't gone through anything, you don't really know where you're at. The only way to know you're there is to have gone through it and let perseverance do its work in your life. That's why God brings and allows these storms to come into our life, so that we don't have to lack. It's so beautiful. What he's showing us here is that lacking has nothing to do 
with whether or not you have stuff. Lacking is all about in your faith. If you are not lacking in your faith, you're not lacking. I'll say it again. If you are not lacking in your faith, you are not lacking. That is why when you go to a developing nation where people are incredibly poor and just hoping they have enough food to have dinner that night, they can have the joy of the Lord and they can say that I am not lacking because it's not about the stuff. It's about have you persevered and reached the place where you are not lacking in your faith, where when you have nothing, where you don't even know if you're going to have dinner tonight and you don't know where you're going to sleep tonight, that you can still get on your knees and worship God and say, praise you, Jesus. I worship you, Lord. You're worthy of my praise. You're worthy of my song. You're worthy of all that I am. (laughs) Praise God. Stand with me, please, church. Let's stand together. I want to pray for you. You know, we had a a question in, in my city group this week where somebody said, you know, if, if Jesus is your anchor, what does that look like when the storms come? And somebody mentioned there's a family in, in Lincolnton that just, uh, they lost their house. It burned to the ground one night. Nobody was hurt, but they lost everything. And somebody said, so, so if, you're, if you're anchored to Jesus, if he's your anchor and you love Jesus and your house burns to the ground and you're standing out on the street looking at what used to be your house and everything you have is gone, what does that look like? Do we just laugh about it? Like, <laughs> no big deal, I love Jesus. I love Jesus. Do we just say, well, you know, praise God, no big deal? I don't think so. I think you might get angry. I think you might be a little depressed for a minute. I think you might be a little anxious. I think you might have all kinds of emotions that come. The fact that when Jesus is your anchor, it doesn't mean that you don't have any feelings anymore. It doesn't mean that you just don't think or care about anything anymore. What it means is that when you go through things and you're feeling all those things, the thing that you're not feeling is hopeless. When he's your anchor, there's always hope. He is the anchor for our soul. So when we go through things, if you know, if you're in a place of complete hopelessness, you can know unequivocally that Jesus is not your anchor. But on the flip side, you could be going through stuff and you can be struggling with depression and he could still be your anchor. It's all about whether or not you're willing to trust him. He'll bring you out of that place of depression. He'll bring you out of that place of anxiety. You have to give it to him. It doesn't always happen in the moment, but he will, he is faithful to do that work in our lives. So the question for us today is, if you lost everything today, would he still be enough? Would you still be able to worship him from your heart? If you had a fire and your house burned to the ground, let's make it even more challenging for us. If you had a fire and your house burned to the ground and you didn't have any insurance, could you still worship him? Could you still have hope? What if you lost, what if you had a tragedy in your life? What if you've been in a job for, for a long time that's terrible and horrible, you're not paid enough, it's toxic. Can you still worship him? Can you still love him? Can you still have hope? Because he says, I'm with you and he's enough. That should, that's the goal, church, that he is enough. Man, we sang some songs today about him being worthy, about him being enough. If you're in the hospital, sitting by somebody in a hospital bed, he's still worthy. Whatever we're going through, he's worthy. And it's easy to sing it. There's a melody, people are singing, the harmonies are great, the band sounds great, and it feels good in the moment. But is that what you are on Monday? If you're not, then that's where you need to start. God, get me to that place where you are enough, no matter what. Let's pray today. Father, we love you. We thank you for your word, God. Your word is what transforms us. Let your word produce fruit in our lives today. 
God, reveal yourself to us. Show us, reveal your word to show us that you are worthy. That you are worthy when we don't feel it. You're worthy like when Gideon said, when it felt like you abandoned him, you're still worthy. When we go through the storm, we don't have to say, do you really care? Don't you care, God? Because you're in it with us. Help us to know it, to see it, believe it, to experience it in our life, God. That you would be our anchor. That you would be the one that we put our hope in. You would be the one that our trust is in. You are the one that we worship. You are the only one that's worthy. We thank you for it today. And we love you. And it's in Jesus' precious name we pray. And everyone said, amen.